Okay, let's begin with prayer. So if you'd like to join me standing and coming before our God together. Most blessed God and Savior, it is a, a delight uh, to gather as thy people to sit at thy feet and to hear thy word read and, and taught. We ask our Lord that thou would uh, bless and anoint uh, thy truth, for thy word is truth. We ask our Lord that thy spirit would be granted to us to give to us understanding of thy word and the grace to practice it in our lives. Hear our prayers and forgive us of our sins as we come before thee. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17 this evening. <clears throat> we'll begin reading verse 9, but uh, the verses we're focusing on this evening would be verses 13 through 17. So begin reading in John 17, 9. <clears throat> I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So the Lord Jesus continues his prayer as our great high priest interceding on our behalf unto the Father, on behalf of those that the Father has given to the Son uh, to save his faithful disciples. He specifically says, not for the world, does he pray? That is, not for the, the non-elect in the world. Uh, and he specifically says that he's not praying for the son of perdition. That is, for Judas. He's not praying for Judas, 
who is, uh, as we noted last time, is a prototype uh, for the Antichrist that's mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, where there the Antichrist is also called the son of perdition. And there are those similarities uh, because bearing the same name, there are those similarities between Judas and the Antichrist. We noted that the papal Antichrist claims to sit in the seat of Peter, uh, but we noted that uh, I think more biblically the, the papal Antichrist sits in the seat of Judas. Here Jesus prays for four blessings for his disciples and for us. First blessing uh, is the preservation of his disciples. The second blessing is the sanctification of his disciples, which we'll look at this evening. The third blessing is the unity of his disciples together as one. And fourthly, the glorification of his disciples with him in heaven. Christ's prayer is effectual. His prayers are always effectual because they're always according to God's will. And so his intercession here on behalf of his disciples likewise uh, isn't simply expressing uh, his mere desires, wishes, but what he prays will be accomplished as he prays on behalf of his disciples and on behalf of us as well. Uh, we are included in this prayer Verse 20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, for his now 11 disciples, Judas has left to go and betray the Lord, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And so his prayer for us, as well as for those present and hearing him, the 11, disciples continues as we consider verses 13 through 17 this evening. Verse 13 says, <clears throat> And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the Lord Jesus prays here to his Father that he is soon to leave this world and to ascend into the glories of heaven to be with the Father. And so he is praying on behalf of his disciples. Can you imagine uh, being one of the 11 disciples there, hearing this intercessory prayer on their behalf, praying for them as he is about to leave the world to ascend to heaven, to be with the Father. He's praying for them. Do you think that that was an encouragement to them? What if you could hear the Lord Jesus praying for you? Praying for you that your faith would not fail. That your patience and perseverance in following him would not fail. 
that you would be built up through all the trials that you're facing? What if you could hear the Lord Jesus verbally uttering those prayers on your behalf? Because that's what he's doing. I mean, imagine him being on the other side of, you know, you're in this room and, and uh, you're uh, on one side of the room and the Lord Jesus is on the other side of the room, as, as was probably uh, that close that the disciples heard the prayers of Jesus there. That would be a great encouragement, I know, to me, to hear the Lord Jesus praying on my behalf. And that's what, again, we have to know. We have to believe that that's what he's doing in heaven. His prayers are effectual. They will accomplish what he prays for. Verse 14, Lord Jesus continues this prayer. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. As Jesus gave to his disciples the word of truth, uh, they received it. They received it by faith as being true. Now, the disciples did not have a full and complete understanding of all that Jesus taught them. We, we see them stumbling, we see them asking questions. Uh, many times in the text it says that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, but they didn't dismiss it just because they didn't understand it uh, as they will, as they would come to understand it after the Holy Spirit was given to them, they would have a much more full and complete understanding of what Jesus taught them. But many times, again, because the, the Bible is hard to understand, and I, I would be the first one to say that uh, there are a lot of things about the Bible that are very hard to understand. I think the things that are necessary to salvation uh, are uh, apparent to us. Um, we who have faith and trust in him, we can understand the basics of salvation, um, the basics uh, uh, concerning biblical truth. Um, even a child can understand basic uh, Bible truth. Uh, but just because we don't understand it all is no reason to reject it. Just because, again, we, we don't have a full comprehension of what the Lord is saying is not to become discouraged and throw it behind our back and say, who can understand this? Uh, but because it's, it's like learning uh, a particular discipline, uh, a particular field uh, of knowledge that you're at first not familiar with. Uh, we all start at a childlike level. Uh, and if we simply give up, simply because we can't understand it, we're never going to grow in our understanding of God's Word. But it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, is how we grow uh, in understanding. And so the Lord gave, he says, to his disciples the word, and they received it 
by faith and they would come to understand it more and more and so will we if we don't give up if we continue to say lord open my heart open my eyes i want to understand thy truth i want to grow in my knowledge of thee and of thy word <clears throat> Note the close connection here in verse 14 between receiving the truth and persecution for the truth. I have given them thy word and the world hateth them. See the connection? Along with receiving the word of God comes persecution. From the world to receive the 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 word or to receive the truth doesn't merely mean to inwardly receive it but to receive the word means that we are not ashamed to profess it we're not ashamed to live it out in our lives to merely hide the word and bury it, to conceal it, again, does not bode well for our actually believing it. Because if we truly believe the truth, we're going to practice the truth. It's not going to be something that we are ashamed of. It's going to, again, have its effect. We all go through, again, those, I think those phases as, as Christians where perhaps uh, more in our infancy uh, as Christians that there are those fears. Uh, what will somebody think of us? Uh, how will they respond? And so uh, we've all experienced that. But I think that if we... Uh, never grow out of that something's really wrong uh, if we never ever live out the word because of our being afraid of what family members may say or co-workers or friends may say if we are truly honest with our convictions and what we actually believe and if we let our light shine um, there, that indicates a, a real spiritual problem You see, the world that is here, the world, uh, the unbelieving world of the Jews and the Gentiles does not so much hate or persecute those <clears throat> who quietly and silently receive the truth and who do not challenge the heresies and the corruptions and, and the false thinking and, and ideas of the present world the world doesn't really mind as long as we keep our ideas to ourselves, our convictions to ourselves. The world doesn't, you know, really care about that. In fact, uh, there's a certain kind of toleration uh, amongst the, uh, those in the world that, as long as we say, "Well, different strokes for different folks. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe," and you know, that's fine. The world doesn't seem to mind that so much, right? 
But when we stand and we say, that's wrong, that's, that's not acceptable, uh, I cannot do that, that's immoral, that's wrong, that's contrary to what God says, then the world takes exception to that. Then the world, especially when we say that it's sin, we use that three-letter word, sin, then the world persecutes, then the world despises, then the world hates, uh, when we use that kind of language. And so, again, uh, the world will despise and attack us when we do profess and live out the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity was never intended to be something we bury. Our faith was never intended to be that which we hide. Um, it was always intended to be something like uh, uh, Jesus compares it to a lamp uh, and that it should be set upon a table to light the whole room, not put under a bushel to hide the light. The reason the world, Jesus says, the reason the world persecutes those who receive the truth and practice the truth, it's given in, verse, in chapter 3 of John, in verses 18 through 20, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now notice what the Lord says in, in the next uh, couple verses. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved, lest his evil deeds be exposed. You ever been in a real dark room and somebody flips on the light and you say, turn the light off! You know, you can't see. Well, that's, that's the way the world is with regard to sin. They don't want the light to expose their sin. And so they say, turn the light out. Get rid of the light. Dear ones, if we are never attacked uh, for what we believe and what we practice, Perhaps it's because we are more concerned that the world think well of us than God think well of us. The Lord said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, <clears throat> Woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so do their fathers to the false prophets. 
Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. <clears throat> we should not, dear ones, be looking certainly to make trouble uh, in our home, our family, with friends, at work, in our neighborhood. We shouldn't be, you know, with the idea Let's go in and make some trouble. Uh, let's stir up some trouble. Let's get into as many arguments and fights and uh, conflicts over the Bible as we possibly can. That sh certainly should not be our attitude. But if speaking the truth in love and walking in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus in speaking and in maintaining a holy life offends others, then it is the truth and the light of Christ that is offending others and not us. It's the truth that's offending at that point. If we are, again, seeking to speak the truth in love, not in anger, not in bitterness, not with a haughty, proud attitude, but speaking the truth in love, the good opinion of the world is about the last thing a true Christian should expect or desire. Verse 15, Jesus prays, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. The Lord continues his prayer here for the preservation. That's the first blessing that Jesus prayed for. We're still on that first blessing. We haven't moved from uh, the blessing of preservation to the next blessing of sanctification, but we will get to sanctification in part uh, this evening. But he's pray praying for their preservation, that they be kept from the evil, he says. <clears throat> What's especially noteworthy here is that Jesus does not pray <clears throat> that his disciples be removed from the presence of temptations. He does not pray that his disciples be removed from the presence of evil. Or when it says when Jesus prays the evil, uh, that can mean also the evil one. He's not praying that we would be removed from the presence of temptation, from the pre presence of sin, from the presence of the evil one. That's, uh, that's not what he's praying. He's praying that we be kept while in the presence of temptation, while in the presence of sin and evil, in the company of an evil world, that we be preserved, that we be kept faithful, preserved from the destructive temptations and the power of the evil one. That's what the Lord prayed for, or taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. 
not from the presence of evil, but deliver us from being in the presence of evil, deliver us from evil. We have to leave this world to be out of the presence of evil. I mean, uh, let alone our own sinful corruptions in this world. But we'd have to leave this world to be out of the presence of all temptation and all uh, evil around us. Why does the Lord here not pray that we might be kept from the very presence and uh, from the temptations of the evil one? Is one reason just noted to, uh, for you is that we'd have to leave the world um, in order to be totally set free. And that will happen, but uh, not at this time. Consider the words of uh, James in James chapter 1 in answer to that question. Why does the Lord not keep us from the very presence uh, of evil and from the presence of temptations? James 1 verses 2 through 3 My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Count it all joy when you undergo temptations. Now that's a strange you know, to our way of thinking, that, that seems very strange uh, that, that we would give thanks uh, when we uh, are tempted. And yet, when we understand that going through temptation is not an end in itself, but that the end of going through temptations is that we exercise the muscle of our faith and trust in him to pass through those temptations, we can see how God uses temptations in our life to strengthen us, to show us where our hope and our faith truly must be. It must be in him. It has that effect of sanctifying and growing us, conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow the most in our Christian life, dear ones, not when we are free of all temptations, when we're free of all trials, when there, are no, when there is no suffering that we're going through, or where there are no afflictions that we're enduring, but rather we grow the most as we face all of those and by faith in Jesus Christ are preserved by the Lord preserved by him and we overcome them by his grace when we overcome temptations there is a strengthening within us there is again a joy when a particular temptation to sin has drawn us and we, by God's grace and casting ourselves upon his mercy and calling upon the Lord and 
our union with Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection, we are delivered out of that. There's a joy that abounds. Uh, there, there is a strengthening within that I, I overcame that temptation. And if we overcome it once, we can overcome it twice. And if we overcome it twice, we can overcome it many times. You see, that's what the Lord would teach us through the temptations and trials that we face. Those are not sent by the Lord to see us fall. They are sent by the Lord to see us learn and grow and be strengthened in our faith and our trust in him. Jesus, earlier in John chapter 16, verse 33, said to his disciples, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We don't overcome temptations, trials, suffering, um, in our own strength. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Our, our strength comes from the Lord. Our strength comes from reckoning ourselves to be dead with Christ and then to be alive with Christ. The old man died. And so we ought to, in reckoning or uh, accounting ourselves in union with Jesus Christ, we ought to be saying to ourselves, when those temptations that try us especially, that we, ought, we ought to be thinking in our minds, when Jesus died on the cross, he included me with him, and my death uh, to that temptation that I'm facing. That I... And that temptation, because I died with Christ, is like that temptation coming to a dead corpse and trying to tempt a dead corpse to fall into that temptation. Uh, as much temptation as comes, it's not going to be effective with a dead corpse. I died with Christ. I can reckon that to be true because God says that of me that I died with Jesus Christ. And then I can overcome it because Jesus was raised from the dead and I was united with Christ in his resurrection. And therefore I have the power, his resurrection power to say no, no to that temptation. <clears throat> the the witnesses, the faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 12, it says that they overcame the devil, they overcame the evil one, the dragon. <clears throat> by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even unto death. How did they overcome? Again, and they overcame him 
by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. So how do they overcome the devil? By these three means. First of all, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. That is, by a justifying testimony. The blood of the Lamb is that which justifies, declares us to be righteous. They, they fell back as they faced the devil and the temptation to say, I, I have been declared righteous by Christ. I have been forgiven of sin uh, and I rest in his sacrifice for me. And so they overcame the devil because the devil accuses us, obviously. Brings those accusations that, that uh, uh, our sin uh, brings condemnation upon us. Uh, our conscience is offended and we, the devil makes all of those suggestions uh, to our conscience uh, that uh, uh, we cannot be uh, just, we cannot be righteous. Um, look at what we've done. Uh, but uh, faithful witnesses in Revelation 12, they turned to the blood of the Lamb. They turned to the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was their justification in facing those accusations is that God has declared me righteous on the basis of what Christ has accomplished for me. But also, it was not only uh, a justifying testimony that they had, faithful witnesses, but also a spoken and a practical testimony. By the word of their testimony as well, they overcame the dragon. The word of their testimony. It wasn't something buried and hidden, uh, concealed uh, within their heart they overcame by way of speaking the truth and living the truth. That which the Lord accomplished for them in dying for them, they're not going to keep it to themselves. They're going to let that light shine. They're going to uh, overcome the enemy by, by testifying in their words and, and in their deeds that uh, Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, and he reigns. And then, uh, finally, they overcome by way of a dying testimony. That is, they, they didn't love their lives so much in this world, they were willing to compromise. That they were willing to compromise the truth to have what they wanted in this world. Uh, that's the problem with the world. Uh, this is all they have to live for. And if they don't live for the world, if they don't gain what they want in this world, they, they don't have any hope about a, a future world, a heavenly world. And so they believe that they have to gain everything that they want, that they believe will please them, that will bring them the pleasure and, uh, that they want uh, in this world. But uh, those who are faithful witnesses for Christ, uh, their testimony is, I don't love uh, my life uh, in this world more than I love the life that the Lord has prepared for me in heaven. I love that life even more. 
and I'm willing to sacrifice the favor of men. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever the world has to offer in order to have that everlasting life forever with the Lord Jesus. We have to think about these things. They can't simply be um, matters of truth, which they are, but we can, they, they can't simply be things that we profess. They have to be things we think about, meditate upon, uh, and, and do so often. If Jesus was made perfect and complete through suffering, which he was according to Hebrews 2.10, and if the power of God was made perfect in Paul when he was weak through temptations that he faced, and as we find in 2 Corinthians 12.9, then may the Lord help us to declare what Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 12.10, when I am weak, then am I strong. When I am reached the point and I recognize my weakness and cast myself upon his strength and his power, that's when the power of God is seen in my life. When I give up thinking, I can do this on my own. I can handle this. I don't need the Lord's help. When I give up on all of that and say, I'm, I'm weak. In myself, I'm helpless. But I can do all things through Christ and his strength and his power. Remember always, first the cross, and then the crown. First, the cross, like Christ. First the cross, he suffered. And then his suffering yielded and, and brought forth the crown. And so with us, the cross here upon the earth, the crown of life forever with the Lord in heaven. And believe me, Whatever the cross is that we have to bear, it will be worth the crown that we will receive a million times over. As Christians, we probably would, if, if we had our choice, and we don't, but if we did, we probably would like to pass through this world and go to heaven with, without any trouble, uh, without conflict, without persecution, without temptation, or as little as possible. But that would not bring about our sanctification. That would not bring about our growth in Christ. That would not bring about our conformity to Christ. And furthermore, to do so would remove the light to be free of all temptations and trials and suffering would remove the light that we shine forth in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of those temptations. It would remove the light 
from a very dark world that needs to hear the truth and to see the light of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, Jesus prays, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So Jesus here repeats really what he had already affirmed in verse 14, where he says, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So this is a repetition of that, of that same truth. <clears throat> and certainly the Lord Jesus does not repeat these words in verse 16 uh, to what he had said in verse 14 because he thought that the, the Father would forget uh, what he had prayed. So it wasn't for the Father's sake that he prayed that, repeated it. Um, it was for the disciples' sake who were listening to the prayer that the Lord Jesus was praying. They benefited. The disciples, the 11 disciples who are listening to the prayer of the Lord Jesus, they benefited from hearing that Jesus said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You see, there's this intimate union and communion between Jesus and, and his redeemed ones. If Jesus is not of this evil world as to a spiritual life, then neither are his disciples of this evil world as to their spiritual life. And because Jesus and the disciples derive their spiritual life from another world, because we are citizens of heaven, this evil world hates us because we're not citizens of this world. We have a heavenly citizenship. We're like uh, aliens. The apostles speak of us being aliens in this world uh, because our, our citizenship is in heaven. And we reflect that citizenship. We're not ashamed of that citizenship. We proclaim that heavenly citizenship and the world the world hates us for it because they, this is where their citizenship is, is in, in this world. So rather than being discouraged by the hatred of the world, uh, we should rather be encouraged for it is a gracious evidence when we are hated by the world because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ it's a gracious evidence that we are united to Christ because they hate Jesus as well. So when the world hates Jesus and they hate us because we are following Jesus, that ought to encourage us that we are united to Jesus. We are walking in his footsteps. We are being conformed to his image. John 17, 17, and we'll end on this first uh, this evening. Jesus prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Lord Jesus now prays. This is where the second blessing for which Jesus prayed. First blessing, you remember again, was 
uh, our preservation. He prayed for our preservation, that we would be kept and guarded uh, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trials and suffering, that Jesus prayed that we would be kept and preserved. But he also now prays for our sanctification. Uh, sanctification <clears throat> here that the Lord Jesus prays for is, is being set apart from sin and then set apart unto holiness. Uh, set apart from this world to being set apart unto the Lord Jesus. That's sanctification. And sanctification has as its goal conformity to Jesus Christ. Growing in looking and acting and thinking and speaking more and more like Jesus, not like the world around us, which fills our minds through entertainment and through movies and through uh, people that we associate with. Uh, that's, that's how we become conformed the more that we allow that to be what uh, instructs us and teaches us and entertains us and with whom we most want to spend our time, we can expect we're going to be less and less looking like Jesus and more and more looking like the world around us. <clears throat> In fact, our election from even all eternity uh, is an election that has as its goal holiness. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, According as he, that's God, hath chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, notice, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us to be holy. We were not chosen to live our lives as we please. We were not chosen to follow our dreams and our own pleasures. We were not chosen to look more and more like the world, but we were chosen rather to be holy like him who chose us, who redeemed us, who justified us, who sanctified us, or is sanctifying us and shall glorify us. The more that we are conformed to Christ's image, uh, the more we will glorify him, the more we will enjoy him. And I'd say vice versa. It's kind of like a, a circle, uh, a cycle. The more that we glorify him and the more we enjoy him, the more likewise we'll be conformed to his image. And the more that we are conformed to his image, the more we'll enjoy him and, and glorify him and commune with him. And the more we commune with him and and enjoy him and glorify him, the more we will be conformed to his image. So it, 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 they, they 
are reciprocal. Uh, the more we do the one, the more we will enjoy. And the more we enjoy him, the more we'll be conformed to his image. Sadly, I think that uh, in many churches uh, and uh, perhaps in many professing Christians, uh, it seems as though, and perhaps again, uh, we've experienced this in our own lives that we thought, well, holiness, holiness and being holy makes a person miserable. Uh, takes away all their pleasure, uh, the, all of the satisfaction and contentment and, and all of this holiness just squelches and kills um, you know, that part and makes us miserable. Um, that, again, is a lie of the devil. That's the lie of the world. And if you want to believe it, then you'll be miserable, I'll guarantee you. The truth of the matter is that, no, holiness does not make us miserable. It's sin that makes us miserable. Holiness, on the, on the other hand, obedience to God's commandments and being conformed to Jesus Christ's image brings the greatest joy, peace, and contentment. That's where it comes from. It comes from the Lord in, in obeying him, following him living for him, communing with him. That's where we have the greatest joy and peace and satisfaction. And I would just ask, if we despise holiness here, why in the world would we want to go to a perfectly holy heaven? That's, there is no sin there. It's only holiness there. If we do not enjoy God and his holiness here upon the earth, why would we want to spend all eternity with him in heaven? The means by which Jesus says that we are sanctified and made holy is his truth. That's the means that God uses to set us apart more and more from sin and unto holiness, his truth. That's why uh, we seek by God's grace to emphasize doctrine. Doctrine is, simply means teaching. Doctrine, however, in many churches is a nasty name or a nasty term, uh, you know, uh, for most people, or to a lot of people, uh, all they think of it, well, doctrine, doctrine divides. No, doctrine and teaching is what God has given to us, that we might know him, that we might grow in our understanding of who he is, his greatness, his power, his might, what he has given to us, and how we are to live for him. Doctrine teaches us those things. The psalmist agrees as well, Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way 
by taking heed thereunto uh, to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word that I might not sin against thee. God's word cleanses our minds, cleanses our hearts. There's not different, uh, as the world teaches, there are not different truths. Everyone doesn't have their own truth. Uh, that's becoming, again, more and more the case because we no longer believe in absolutes uh, as a culture. Uh, everything's relative. Uh, according to the present philosophy and culture. That's not true. Um, that's a lie, again, of the enemy. There are absolutes because God himself has given to us. He is one. He's not, again, um, schizophrenic where uh, at one point he says that's true and and at the same time, with the other part of his mind, he said, no, that's true also, though they contradict one another. So again, these are, uh, these are simply ways in which the world justifies uh, its, its own sin. There is only one truth, and it comes from God. As we read, as we study, as we meditate upon, as we memorize, and as we practice the truth, the Holy Spirit uses his truth to cleanse us, to purify us, and uh, to set us apart from evil, to warn us about the temptations of the enemy, and to strengthen us to withstand the evil one and to conform us uh, to the image of Christ. We don't need, dear ones, we do not need more worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom will lead people to destruction. We don't need more worldly wisdom. What we need more is of is God's wisdom. What we need more is God's knowledge, his truth, to fill our minds with his word that we find in Holy Scripture. That's what we need more of. <clears throat> the Lord is not deficient in wisdom. He is wisdom. Whatever wisdom, whatever truth that God gives to those in the world by way of his common grace is already found in his word. It's his, his word. Not, not that it's sinful or wrong to read a, a someone in the world in and of itself, but if that's where we're going to find truth, that's the wrong source. We find the truth in his word. Dear ones, if we neglect God's word, I think you can mark it down. If we neglect God's word, we will not grow in holiness.
No way. Because that's how Jesus says we are sanctified and grow in holiness is by his truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if we desire to be preserved from evil, and that should be the desire of every Christian, to be preserved from evil, and we must desire to be cleansed and set apart from evil through his word. The power that we need comes from the Lord, and the Lord uses his word, his truth, to set us apart more and more from sin and unto godliness and unto holiness. The gracious fruit and evidence of our faith in our lives is our sanctification. How do we know that we truly believe? How do we know that we have been justified and declared righteous by God? We are being sanctified. We are being set apart more and more from sin and unto righteousness and unto holiness. If we are not being more and more sanctified, then we ought to be looking back and saying, if I have no desire, if I have no desire to uh, to be sanctified and to grow in the knowledge of truth and to be set apart from sin and unto holiness, then we need to look back and say, Lord, have I been justified? Have I been declared righteous? Have I trusted in thee for to be my righteousness and to forgive me of all my sins? Have I truly? I may have mouthed those words, but if I have no desire to be holy, something's wrong in our lives. Because that's what justification is not an end in itself. Justification to be declared righteous by God and be forgiven all our sins is to lead us to sanctification so that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the, the goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 10 says, and 14 says that without holiness, no one will see God. That's how important this is. Without holiness, no one will see God. We can't just throw, you know, I've been justified. I prayed and asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins. Well, without growth and holiness, a desire to be more and more like Christ, those are just words. They don't mean anything. And so we'll leave that there for you to, by God's grace, think upon, meditate upon uh, very important words that the Lord Jesus has given to us uh, this, in this prayer for us to... Um, take to the Lord that these truths that we have uh, heard uh, from the mouth of the Lord Jesus uh, might be 
realized in each of our lives. Let's stand in prayer. Father in heaven, as Lord Jesus prayed for us, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So we pray, Lord, that that holy desire would be in our lives and that we would not, if we profess faith in Christ, that we would not be content to simply talk about that we've been forgiven that's a great blessing, but that great blessing will always yield itself uh, in desiring to be holy like Thee. We pray, Lord, grow us in that holiness. And though we do not all grow in holiness uh, to the same degree, there are those who bring forth 30, 60, 100 fold. Nevertheless, there is growth in all who trust in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray <clears throat> that thou would, would uh, give to us great hope in thee, for Lord, it is not we who work this within ourselves. This is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And as we see that evidence, Lord, give to us great joy and delight. Help us to understand that being holy is not misery. Lord, living for ourselves, living for pleasure, living for this world, that's misery. But living for thee, living according to thy truth, walking in obedience to thy commandments is joy and peace and contentment now and for all eternity. Hear our prayers, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you for joining us uh, in our Bible study. You are dismissed.